0: Welcome to the Inside the Board Study Smarter Series dedicated to helping you learn to think like a question writer, so you can study smarter, not harder, and succeed on your exam. All right, this is a question, dissection, and explanation video from Supporting Act for the 2021 Step 1 Study Smarter Series, Quick Steps. You can find his YouTube channel by searching Quick Steps on YouTube. And just note that we have converted a originally video file to an audio resource and done some editing to it to make it, I guess, audio optimized. So if you do, though, hear references to a video or whatnot, just know that it was originally intended for that, but we still think it's a good resource.
1: Hey, everybody. Today, we are going to be covering immunology and rheumatology and seeing how that content is presented in board style format. With that being said, let's dive on into some questions. So let's just practice the method here, and we want to apply it to every single question, no matter if it's long or short. Sometimes if it's really short, you could just do you know, the one or two lines there and then try to, try to get to your answer. But let's just get in the habit here. So I'll read the second to last line with you guys, then go to the question itself, and then go to the answer choices, and then we can read over the whole thing. So the last two lines, it begins with, Basic metabolic profile shows calcium level is at 1.1 milligrams per deciliter. The child is prone to infection, according to his mother. What part of the lymph node is expected to be atrophied? A medullary sinus, B. Paracortex, C follicle of cortex, D. Medullary cords, E. Capsule. Now we can read the whole question looking for keywords. So a six year old boy has involuntary muscle spasms in his extremities. Physical examination shows easily removable white plaques with surrounding erythema on the oral pharynx. And then we already read the rest, so we know that he has a low serum calcium. And all these lab values are actually provided in the little lab section. You can just click on the labs and it will come with a drop-down list. And you just look for calcium and it will tell you the normal. This is low. And the child is prone to infection according to his mother, so there's some sort of immune problem going on. Not surprising as this is the immune section. Okay, so let's just go through the answer choices. We have medullary sinus. What cells reside in the medullary sinus? So you should be saying macrophages. Macrophages or histiocytes largely occupy the medullary sinuses. Have at the paracortex, T cells, right, paracortex contains T cells. The follicle, the follicle has those germinal centers, that's where the B cells activate. And then we have medullary cords, and the medullary cords is where plasma cells, B cells, and some acrophages also exist. And then the capsule, what cells reside there? Yeah, right, It's it's just dense, irregular connective tissue. Okay, so that's a little bit of a, a trick to trying to make you think maybe you don't know what cells are there, so you might choose that in a panic. Never panic. You know most of the content, and if not, we have test-taking strategies that could get you there. So why does this question really asking? Well, we know there's an immunodeficiency because prone to infection is quite literally just another way of saying immunodeficient. And he has easily removable white plaques. It's a hallmark characteristic for thrush, also known as oral candidiasis right? It's a superficial fungal infection. It's actually normal flora to a capacity, but this is just overgrowth because your immune system is not functioning properly. So what has immunodeficiency with low calcium levels? Okay, you should be saying DeGeorge syndrome, right? DeGeorge syndrome. So why do they give us muscle spasms? Well, anytime you have low calcium, you could go into a state of tetany or involuntary muscle contractions. because you get closer to the depolarization threshold. This is a very common way that the boards test DeGeorge syndrome. DeGeorge syndrome is uh, chromosome 22q11.2 deletion. I would just memorize chromosome 22. And all that really translates to is it's a failure of the third and fourth pharyngeal pouches to develop. And the third and fourth pharyngeal pouch contain the thymus and the inferior and superior parathyroid glands, respectively. So if you have failure of the parathyroid glands, you're not going to have that PTH being released, right? The parathyroid hormone. And the parathyroid hormone is the thing that melts bone to release calcium into the bloodstream. And it also helps reabsorb calcium in the kidney, but that's not really the focus too much for this question. All you have to know is, since you're missing it, you're going to have low calcium levels, and the low calcium levels lead to spasms. And quite frankly, you don't even need to know that. You just need to know that it's DeGeorge syndrome and what's actually wrong, the thymus. What is the thymus responsible for? Well, the thymus is important for maturation of T cells. Right? So if you don't have a thymus, if it's completely absent, which is the case in DeGeorge syndrome, you will not have T cells in circulation. Now, if that's the case, then you sure as hell are not going to have a strong immune system. So this is an interesting way to ask it, but where in the lymph node would T cells reside? Where do we know that they reside? That portion where T cells reside in the lymph node is going to be atrophied or smaller. So which portion is that? Well, we talked about it already. T cells reside in the paracortex. So the paracortex is the part of the lymph node that is affected in de syndrome. All right. So we're off to a strong start. Let's keep the momentum going with this next question. I want you to do this question on your own and then we'll talk about it before I show you the answer. So this question is all about acute graft rejection. And you do have to know a little bit about it in order to get this question right. And there is a slight nuance to this question that I think it's very helpful to learn. So what's the cell that's responsible for acute graft rejection? It's mainly T cell mediated, right? There's CD4 response and then there's the CD8 cytotoxic response. That's the whole thing with acute graft rejection is it's T cell mediated, both CD4 and CD8 T cells. So I bet you a lot of people probably chose CD4 because they were like, oh, helper T cell most likely, that's usually the right answer. Boom, we're going to go with that. Well, in this case, you'd be wrong. And I know the rest of you, the ones that are currently watching this, all chose CD3, right? Because CD3 is for all T cells. That includes both helper and cytotoxic. So CD3 is on every single T cell, whether or not CD4 or CD8 are present. Right? So helper T cells have CD3, and cytotoxic killer T cells have CD3 as well on them. Okay, and just for completeness sake, let's talk about CD14. That's found on macrophages or histiocytes. So CD14 is found on macrophages. How about CD19? CD19 is found on B cells. So CD19 is found on B cells and plasma cells. How about CD34? So CD34 is slightly lower yield, but I would definitely recommend knowing it. Is that that is the surface marker for hematopoietic stem cells? All right, good job on that. Let's keep the momentum going with question three, as this is a short question. I'm going to read it with you and then we're going to talk about it and I'll let you choose an answer then we'll just we'll discuss the answer choices okay so a t helper cell located in the peripheral circulation is bound to a cell through a class 2 major histocompatibility complex it does not receive co-stimulatory signals from the bound antigen presenting cell what is the fate of this specific t helper cell a it will be activated and able to perform its effector function b it will undergo class switching c it will undergo energy d it will release granzyme e it will undergo clonal expansion so what do you guys think okay so let's say you don't know the exact answer to this let's do what we would normally do anyway let's do process of elimination okay so let's start with a it will be activated and able to perform its effector function well we know t cells when they're activated could perform an effector function so we might have to hold on to that one if we assume that it's enough to just activate it without a co-stimulatory signal. How about B? It will undergo class switching. Do T-cells undergo class switching? No. No, that's only for B and plasma cells, right? It will undergo energy. So what's energy? Energy is different than apoptosis. The cell is not undergoing self-regulated destruction. It just kind of stays there, and it's permanently lost its effector function, right? It's essentially doing nothing. It's still there. It's not trying to kill itself. It just does nothing, and it circulates. How about D? It will release granzyme. So we know CD8-positive cytotoxic killer T cells do release a granzyme in that, you know, and porphyrins, and they poke holes in the membrane, and they cause apoptosis and destruction of the cell that it's attached to. So that kind of sounds like it's an effector function, right? So whenever two-answer choices sound similar, and they are definitely in accordance with one another, and there's not really much of a difference, they're most likely both wrong. And how about E? It will undergo clonal expansion. Well, so when these types of cells become activated, they do actually undergo clonal expansion. So there's actually three choices that say, okay, it's going to be activated. And there's one choice, right? choice C, that says it's not going to be activated. So if you had to just go on pure test-taking skills, which one out of those four, right? We've eliminated choice B because that's only for B cells. Which one, A, C, D, or E, is the one most left out of the group? That one would be C, right? Because it's not activated, it's not able to carry out an effector function, such as like releasing granzyme or undergoing clonal expansion or stuff, something along those lines. So let's talk about why it actually is C. So you actually need two signals in order to activate both T and B cells. The first signal needs to be the MHC complex with the antigen bound. And then the second one needs to be a co-stimulatory, whether that's B7 or, you know, something on those lines. If you only get one of those signals without the co-stimulatory signal, the cell will not destroy itself, but it will undergo energy. They highlight this fact a lot. Sometimes it goes overlooked by some students, so I would definitely, definitely, definitely just keep this in your mind if the cell is in the periphery. And it binds only to one signal molecule, not both signal molecules it will undergo energy. Great job on that one. That was a little bit more of just a a pure memorization thing, but I'm glad we were able to explore some of the test-taking skills. Let's move on to the next question. Okay, so this question is pretty high yield. I mean, everything is high yield, but this is very, very high yield. You will definitely see one of these types of questions on your exam. So what I want you to do is approach it like it's the exam. I want you to read over, do the method, right? Read over the last line, read the question, read the answer choices, and then read the rest of it. Okay, so in your head, you should have a clinical picture, right? She has chronic joint pains, feeling tired. Uh, The pains are in her hands and her knees. There is symmetry, which is very, very important in terms of making a differential. When she takes NSAIDs, there's not really too much relief. And her arthralgias are worse in the morning and improves with use. So we have symmetrical joint pain that affects the hands and knees. And it gets better with use. So, which one of those diseases that we know, right, like lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, osteoarthritis, gout, pseudogout, septic arthritis, psoriatic arthritis—you know, any of those—which one fits this description the best? Okay, and you should be saying rheumatoid arthritis, right? You know, they're going to give you some things that will give it away. They might give you a histological description of it. They may just say, you know, like symmetrical joint pain that improves with use, as we see in the question here. As long as they don't say that the DIPS, right, the, the distal interphalangeal joints are involved. Maybe that's never involved in rheumatoid arthritis, as far as the questions go. This is how they're going to be testing it. So now you need to know which antibodies would confirm the diagnosis. So you need to know which of the autoantibodies would confirm the diagnosis. So we have anti-mitochondrial antibody. What does that do? What's that for? That's for primary biliary cholangitis. Does that show up with this clinical picture? No. No, it doesn't. How about anti-IgG? Do you know another name for anti-IgG? I bet you you do. So anti-IgG is also known as rheumatoid factor. So rheumatoid factor is actually an IgM, immunoglobulin, that targets IgG. And that's found in a couple conditions. It's not super, super specific for rheumatoid arthritis, but it does have rheumatoid arthritis under its umbrella. So it's not the most specific antibody for it. That would be actually uh, anti-CCP but this does have rheumatoid arthritis under its umbrella. How about anti-centromere antibody? Well, that's for Crest syndrome, right? Limited scleroderma. Does that present in this way? No. The mnemonic for Crest is Crest, C-R-E-S-T, calcinosis, Raynaud's phenomenon, esophageal dysmotility, sclerodactyly, and telangiectasias. None of them are seen here. Not even one. So that's not the answer. How about anti-double-stranded DNA? Well, that's actually very, very specific, but it's specific for lupus. How about antinuclear antibodies? Sometimes it shows up in shorthand as ANA. So that's not very specific for anything. It's sensitive, right? It's mainly associated with lupus, but it could be in a couple other conditions as well. Either way, like we said, this clinical presentation in particular is presenting like rheumatoid arthritis. So the only one that rheumatoid arthritis falls under would be anti-IgG, also known as rheumatoid factor. And don't forget, that rheumatoid factor is actually an IgM immunoglobulin that targets IgG. So this is a little bit of a longer question, and we see already that there's some sort of serum analysis thing going on with immunoglobulin levels. So I want you to just read over this on your own, take a little bit of time, try to really understand what's going on here. If this isn't your strong suit, this is the time to learn it. Okay, so if you would have followed the method, you would have already seen that this is all about immunodeficiencies before you actually read the full question so different types of immunodeficiencies they're trying to highlight what's the difference between them right how do you distinguish between them and they give you one particular case and they want you to say okay it's not like these other cases so we have an eight-month-old infant brought in today because of a cough his temperature is 101.2 degrees fahrenheit he has oftentimes required multiple courses of antibiotics for several respiratory infections over the past few months There are normal levels of CD4 and CD8 cells, and the analysis shows all the immunoglobulins are decreased. So what condition is this? What has normal T cell levels, but diminished immunoglobulins? And in case you don't know, we're going to go through the answer choices, and when we get to the answer choice, we'll highlight it. So severe combined immunodeficiency. The way I remember this one is when they say combined. Combined literally just means T cells and B cells affected. But... The question states, you know, normal CD4 and CD8 cells, so that can't be the right answer. How about Chede higashi Well, Chede higashi is a mutation of the LIST gene, which is lysosomal trafficking protein, and that causes a microtubule dysfunction. So you don't have phagolysosomal fusion, and this leads to a whole slew of issues. So common presentation for this one would be like a silvery hair, paler skin, Because you have defective melanosomes, right? You have decreased melanin, and thus you have, like, not true albino features, but skin's overall lighter and the hair's lighter. You also have defective secretions, pancytopenia, and you have neurologic issues. So does that sound like the presentation that we have currently? No, no, that that doesn't sound like it. Then we have ataxia telangiectasia. So how does ataxia telangiectasia present? Well, it's usually somebody who is prone to falling. And infections, right? Ataxic means, you know, unsteady. So, one really high yield fact about ataxia telangiectasia is that you will have decreased levels of IgA, IgG, and IgE. So, the mnemonic I use is that with ataxia telangiectasia, the gene that's mutated is ATM, and you have to be a certain age to operate the ATM, right? So, if there's a problem, that means you're too young. So, you're gonna have decreased age, right? IgA, IgG, and IgE. So, for proper functioning of ATM, you need to be at an older age. And it's not functioning in a ataxia tylangiectasia, so you're at a younger age. So you have decreased levels of A, G, and E immunoglobulins. So what does that also imply? That means you have normal M. You have normal IgM. And we see just from the numbers, IgM is 2 milligrams per deciliter, and that's low compared to the normal. So that can't be the answer either. How about Bruton A-gamma Well, besides being a mouthful, the problem there is Bruton tyrosine kinase. So that's what's messed up, and this is like a fun factoid. You have to know about it. Messing up BTK, or Bruton tyrosine kinase, actually messes with the differentiation into the pre-B cells from the pro-B cells. And if you aren't able to get to that point where you have pre-B cells, because you're not able to mature due to this BTK mutation, you're going to have decreased levels of all immunoglobulin because you're not going to have plasma cells. So this is specific to B cells and it's going to have decreased immunoglobulin production globally, and it will not affect T-cell levels, which is exactly what we see here, right? Decreased immunoglobulin across the board, but the T-cell levels remain the same. So the answer is D, Bruton A-gamma Let's also talk about chronic granulomatous disease. So chronic granulomatous disease is a mutation of NADPH oxidase, which is part of the oxidative burst killing infectious organisms. So if you don't have the oxidative burst, your innate immune system will not be as fully functional. And as such, you're going to be prone to infections specifically with Staph aureus, Aspergillus, Candida, basically anything with catalase, which if you remember from Sketchy, would be those bugs and a couple others. And if you can't kill something, your body tries to wall it off. And the way that it walls it off is through granulomas. So that's why it's called chronic granulomatous disease, because you can't clear these infections you can't carry out oxygen-dependent killing of these organisms. Right? For the non-catalase-positive organisms, you could actually kill because they produce some baseline level of hydrogen peroxide, and that's further down in the pathway than NADPH oxidase. So you could kill those, but you can't kill Staph aureus, Aspergillus, and Candida because they all have catalase.
0: All right, with that, we will end it here. But the rest of this episode is available on our audio qbank app, so just search your app store for Inside the Boards. And don't forget to check out Quick Steps' YouTube channel for the video version of this content. Just search YouTube for Quick Steps.